We are going through 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 8. If you have a Bible, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, we'll be looking at chapter 8 tonight, chapter 9 next Wednesday night, are these incredible chapters about giving, Paul the Apostle instructing the Corinthians how to give, um, who's going to be receiving the offering, uh, what is the motivation of the heart, and the title of our message is Giving Hearts. Since you came to Jesus, has he changed your Scrooge-like heart? Has he changed the uh, basically self-focused selfishness that you and I in our own greediness would just hang on to things until our knuckles turned white? Or did Jesus touch your heart in such a way that things begin to change? There begins to be a generosity that flows from you. And it's in all kinds of ways, whether it's you become genera- generous with encouragement, you become generous with kindness, you become generous with forgiveness, you become generous with grace and mercy, you begin gen- to be generous in love. But also there is a generosity that touches our financial world that uh, as we begin to give, as Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That there's an experience in which God so transforms our lives that we understand now that we're stewards and not owners and that we want to use the resources that God has graced us with and blessed us with for his kingdom and for his glory. Now, we all have bills to pay. You have uh, probably a house payment. Maybe you have a car payment. you got to put food in the cupboards. There's all kinds of things that are demanding our energy and our resources, and yet as we work, as the Lord blesses us with the gift of labor and we get a paycheck, do we honor the Lord with the first fruits of it? Is there something inside of us that, hey, you know what? God's been so good to me, I want to give something back. And notice I said give something back as as you purpose in your heart, as you prosper, as God is good to you, you get to pray and you get to decide what you're going to give, that there's no law there's no uh, heavy burden. Even as we look at the tithe, the tithe is really an Old Testament uh, law that was given, but people of faith exercised in it. We see both Abraham and Jacob operating in it, and it's a great place for us to start in our giving uh, if we have no point of reference. But if you can't, give the 10% or you can give more than 10%, you're not restricted by that because you get to pray it through and figure it out on your own adventure of faith with the Lord. So Paul the Apostle is going to give us some understanding and concepts through these two chapters, this Wednesday night and next Wednesday night, that will really help you mold your concepts in a biblical New Testament way, led by grace, empowered by the Holy Spirit, how to use your resources or as God prompts you to give to the work of the Lord. Let's read these first five verses to get started here in chapter 8. It says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. The first example that we're going to see, and there's two powerful examples in this portion of Scripture about giving. The one is the Macedonian churches, the second is the Lord Jesus Christ, and the third is those who received these examples, the Corinthians themselves. And you and I, if you will, we're sitting in the seat of the Corinthians to learn the lessons that Paul the Apostle is trying to download spiritually into this young congregation. And he tells us, number one, first of all, notice that the real motive of any giving, as it says in verse one, moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So number one, it's God's grace. Nobody, I mean, people can pressure you into giving. They can guilt you into giving. They can have all kinds of um, manipulative type of things. And yet, ultimately, none of those things will be sustained. You'll get bitter. You'll be resentful. You won't like it. How would you like us to send you a bill every month? Hey, this is what you should give right? That's probably not going to go over very well. (laughs) Because the grace of God is, you're you're kind of short-circuiting that or short-cutting that. So understand this. 
that God's grace touching your heart is the number one ingredient to having a giving heart. If God's grace hasn't done any work in your life, then it's very unlikely that there's any giving going on in your life and generosity. But if God's grace has touched your heart, even for a lot of Christians, God's grace has not made its way to your pocketbook yet. And so as this begins to unfold in your life, God's grace working in your life, I know when the Lord saved me and his grace broke into my world, things just begin to change. They begin to change on how I looked at life and how I looked at my own resources and how I looked at serving others and being a blessing to others and giving to the work of the Lord at the church or where there was needs or in people's lives. And so number one, understand that true giving is a privilege prompted by the grace of God. Number two, realize that giving is just not for people that are in a hunky-dory type of flush experience. Notice in verse 2, he says that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Check out all the words that Paul just used to describe them. He said they had great uh, trial of affliction, they had deep poverty, and yet and the opposite, they had the abundance of their joy to give and the riches of their liberality or generosity in which they gave. Now, more than likely, these Macedonian churches did not have much to give as far as dollar signs. You'll discover whether it's different towns in the United States, different rural areas, different places in the world, where in many poverty-stricken or third-world countries, somebody will be living on a dollar a day, so 30 bucks a month. And they are literally just trying to survive. But even in these places of deep poverty, when you go there to minister, if they have you over to their house, they will literally go all out. I mean, they'll go broke to make a meal for you. Now, they don't understand that you're thinking to yourself, I don't really want to eat because I'm not sure if I'm going to get sick here or not. Not because their food's bad. It's just uh, you guys got things that are small and living that uh, are not in, our, <laughs> in my stomach, in our culture. And yet they will go all out with this incredible generosity, and yet they have such poverty in their own lives. And so Paul the Apostle said there's this group of Christians up around this area of Macedonia and as we shared with them, ultimately what they're giving to is the saints in Jerusalem were going through a time. There was a famine there. There was a struggle there. The Christians were really struggling as far as just survival. And so Paul the Apostle's heart was all these churches that he was planting, all of these Gentiles were getting saved. And he wanted to receive this offering from a bunch of Gentiles so that he could collect this offering and then deliver it to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. That's what this particular offering's about. Throughout the scriptures, we have different offerings. We have offerings for building projects. We have offerings for people in need. We see people helping individuals in need. But this is specifically what this one's about. And so these churches were going through a hard time. They were deep in poverty. And yet God's grace so touched their lives that with great joy and with, as far as their bank account was concerned, great generosity when they had so little, they gave so much. And so you have to understand that grace is the initial ingredient that changes things, but grace can even work through people's poverty. It can work through great affliction, and it can produce joy and generosity in the process of giving. So it's important because the Lord's going to tell us in the next chapter, God loves a hilarious giver. Think about that a hilarious giver. He loves cheerful giving. He loves joyful giving. He doesn't like grudgeful giving. If you ever give grudgingly, you might as well just keep your five bucks in your pocket because you're not going to get any reward anyway because your heart stinks. And so when you can do it with joy and you can do it even through the difficulties and trials of life, just giving to the work of the Lord, then you'll be seen in, in a similar way of this example that we see right here. In verse 3, he says, For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing. Once again, very poor people, they gave beyond their ability. Because ultimately, their joyful giving, prompted by grace, made them want to go over the top in their giving to this specific offering for the believers in Jerusalem. He says in verse 
4, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. They implored, they begged Paul to, to receive this gift. Now, as they gave this generous gift, Paul the Apostle might have looked at it, saw their poverty. He's staying with them in their homes. He sees how poor they are. He sees the abundance in which they gave for very poor people. And he might have just been a little reluctant, like, you know what? Why don't you take some of that back? Why, why don't you not, you know, I mean, how are you guys going to eat? But he doesn't do that. The people are imploring him. They're begging him to receive this offering and uh, not only receive it, but with urgency. Hey, take this. Get that. To, you know, those people there are hurting in Jerusalem, our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. So take it with this urgency. They were sharing, it says in verse 4, the fellowship of the ministering of the saints, which is that word koinonia. It means to share with someone. We can share a meal. We can share our finances. We can share our time. We can share a conversation. It means when we're mutually sharing something with one another. But these Macedonian Christians who have never met the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem said, we want to share with them. We want to share in their struggles. We want to share in their difficulties. We want to join in what God is doing in this offering. Verse 5, Paul caps off this example of the Macedonians that he's telling the Corinthians about. And he says, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then uh, to us by the will of God. This is ultimately every, the goal of every minister of the Lord that is really desiring what God desires. Is that you, you're really reaching people's hearts. Because if you're going to have a giving heart, ultimately you're going to be sharing grace with hearts that are then changed. And you want to see people give themselves to the Lord and then also give themselves to others in generous, loving service. And yet Paul the Apostle said, even beyond what we had hoped, they so gave themselves to the Lord and then they gave themselves to us. You see, when you have people's hearts that have been touched by God's grace, it takes life to a whole new level. You watch somebody get saved. You watch how it begins to change their interaction with, uh, and generosity even with their spouse and their children and their finances and at work and everything begins to change because they give their hearts to the Lord and then they begin to give their lives away to other people to love them and to serve them and to be generous. And if God's grace is not producing that in you, in me, as Christians, you always have to back up and say, what's going on? What's wrong with my heart? Why, why am I so selfish? Why am I so stingy? Why am I so self-centered? Why, why am I not giving myself more to the Lord? And why am I not giving myself more to people around me in love and service and generosity? What's holding me back? What is the issues of my soul? What is the greediness of my own life? And we begin to really process and we begin to pray and say, God, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Know my anxious thoughts. And, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, show me what's going on in my life. And Paul the Apostle, he raises up this incredible example of these Macedonian Christians, touched by grace, generous beyond their means, even through the difficulties of their life, and they gave themselves to the Lord and to uh, those who are ministering. So now in verses 6 through 8, he, he now applies this example to them. Okay, we're going to receive this example as if it is to us. As he's speaking, does this inspire the Corinthians? For it says in verse 6, So we urge Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. He's sending Titus to receive this offering to collect it with a group of faithful stewards for accountability that are going to take this gift to Jerusalem. And he says, we, we encourage Titus because, you see, he had been dialoguing with them about this. And as he had been dialoguing about this, he said that you would complete this grace in you as well. That the grace that had touched the Macedonians' hearts would touch the Corinthians' hearts. Just because, I, I mean, I shouldn't say just because. When you see, when you see God's grace touch other people's hearts with generosity and you watch them give and you watch them give joyfully and you watch the reward that they get just from the joy of giving and you watch how it blesses people's lives. Are you not, in fact, inspired? 
You're inspired. You're inspired at that person's selflessness and their generosity. You're inspired to see what it meant to the people that received it. You're inspired to see that God was involved in the whole process. And you're inspired. And so as he shares this story about the Macedonians, Paul the Apostle wants the Corinthians to be inspired that the grace of God would touch their hearts and that that grace would come forth. Because you see, he had talked to them months earlier, maybe even as much as a year earlier, and they said they wanted to be involved with it, but it hadn't taken place yet. The right people were not in the right place at the right time. And it says in verse 7, but as you abound in everything, notice how they abounded by the grace of God and by the Spirit of God. They abounded in faith. They were filled with faith to trust God. They abounded in speech, their ability to articulate the truth of God, in knowledge, spiritual understanding, in all diligence. They were faithful in their service and in your love for us. They loved Paul and he's patching things up from the difficulties that they had and yet he said, see that you abound in this grace also. Now, the thing about faith and speaking, and knowledge, and diligence, and love, is it's all free. Right? It's all free. You got a lot of knowledge. The Spirit of God gave it to you. You're able to talk. The Spirit of God gave you that ability. You have faith. You can trust God. You can be diligent. You can work hard. You can even give love and generosity to people. But he says, see that you abound in this grace also. What grace? The grace of giving. The grace of finances and how God leads and directs your life. Now, as I said, these Corinthians knew that the gifts were going for struggling Christians in Jerusalem. That was the point of the gift. We have an incredible uh, opportunity all the time to serve the Lord in so many different ways, as we'll kind of talk about uh, towards the end of this message. But where does God's grace touch you to be involved and to see your resources used for the kingdom. Just be thinking about that through this process of this message. Now, Paul the Apostle just lifted up these churches in Macedonia in verses 1 through 5. He applied that, that example to these Corinthians that they also would complete this grace. But he says he's putting them to the test. Check it out in verse 8. I speak not by commandment. This is not a rule. This is not a law. He hasn't given them a specific amount. He says, but I am testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. Paul the Apostle says, hey, I'm testing the sincerity of your love and your walk with God by the diligence of someone else. He said, you know, I was hanging out with these Macedonian Christians and the grace of God so fell upon these people, so touched them in their trials, their affliction, their deep poverty, and man, they gave with joy. They gave beyond their means. Um, it, was, it, it was amazing. And he said, so now as a group of believers here at Corinth, he said, you know, I'm, I'm putting you to the test by their diligence. Meaning that if God's grace is the same, and touches people's lives in a similar way, then if God's grace is working in your life and working in my life, then I should be able to see the same sincerity of heart in other believers in other geographic locations. Now the gift they might, Corinth was a very affluent city, so what they gave would probably just, I mean, overwhelm the gift that was given in Macedonia out of their poverty. But he said, I'm just putting you to the test. It's not a commandment. I'm not putting some heavy burden on you. And just so, I mean, if you're new to our fellowship, don't think we're going to bring the ushers out in the offering here at the end of this service. Don't feel any, some of you are just holding on to your wallet just tighter and tighter as we're talking about this message. Because it, it troubles people when you talk about money. And, but the Bible just is laying it out here. So we're going verse by verse. I'm not skipping anything, right? You guys know that. I share the good, the bad, and ugly of God's word. So this is the next series of verses, and I'm sharing with you straight up what he's saying. If somebody in your life knows you and they know a, a uh, common friend and they see God's grace work in one and then they kind of look at you. Now there's a per- certain place where comparison is wrong. That we shouldn't compare with one another. Paul says to the Corinthians, they compared themselves with themselves, therefore they were unwise. But in this case, they're not comparing themselves with anybody. Paul the Apostle said, I saw this diligence over here, and I wonder if that same diligence is in you. I wonder if I'd be blown away by your generosity, by the grace of God that's touched your heart and touched your life. Though there's no commandment, 
He doesn't lay it out in such a way that it would be strict. But now he really, he drops the incredible, powerful example of Jesus about giving. Look what he says. It's one of the most unique passages in the New Testament upon this subject. And only one verse, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that through though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Check that out. Let me read it to you again if you missed it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Check this out. Paul the Apostle used this Macedonian believers, and he applies it to the Corinthians. And if that wasn't enough, he said, look at the example of Jesus. And once again, it's the grace of God. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through your poverty you might become rich. Now, was Jesus ever rich? Yes, just not on planet Earth. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Don't think of that as Jesus, as some dirty-faced homeless man under a bridge. Jesus moved in perfect tranquility and peace and grace, and everywhere he went, he was totally taken care of by the people. He was taken into homes and fed, and, and he had clothes, and though he didn't have his own place, he had what he needed. He had a roof over his head, he had food to eat, Yet in this life, Jesus was not rich. But in heaven, Jesus was rich. Don't you think? He is the Son of God that stepped down and took on human flesh and was born in Bethlehem, the God-man. But in his prior glory, he was in heaven, streets of gold, all the angels of God worshiping around him and the Father, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. And Jesus stepped out of the glory, the perfect glory, sinless glory of heaven with all of its wealth. And he stepped down into a manger in Bethlehem, grew up in the armpit of Israel, Nazareth. And Jesus became poor. Jesus gave up the wealth of all of heaven, his Father's heaven, if you will. He gave up all the wealth of heaven to come down here and to become poor so that he can make you and I spiritually rich. If you know Jesus as your Savior, every single one of us in this room, we're bazillionaires in spiritual things. We are rich. We have the forgiveness of God. We have the love of God. We have the peace of God. We have the joy of God. We have the goodness of God. And we are ultimately going to conquer sin and death and go to heaven and be in heaven with God. We are rich people, spiritually speaking. But Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven by the grace of God to show the grace of God to you and I so that you and I could have that wealth. So once again, Jesus gave up his incredible wealth so that you could have his wealth, and he became poor. Now, as he lays this out here, he's really bringing the crux of the matter to our hearts, how the grace of God has touched our hearts, knowing that Jesus gave his life for us. He not only came and lived a sinless life for these 33 years, but ultimately went to a cross, and they nailed him to a cross, All of our sins and burdens were laid upon him. He took all of our debt. We're all spiritually bankrupt. He took all of our debt, all of the burden and shame of our sin, and it was placed upon him. And then he died, was buried, and rose from the dead three days later, and he did it for you and I so that we could have this incredible wealth. And so if God's grace through the love of Jesus has not touched your heart to be more generous than you and I were before we were saved, what in the name of Jesus is wrong with us. What is wrong with us? Has God's grace touched us? Has God's grace saved us? Is God's grace changing us? So Paul the Apostle uses these powerful examples, first of the Macedonians, then here as we see in the case of the Lord Jesus, and then it tells us in verses 10 through 15, now this is the opportunity, make the most of it. He's going to share the opportunity that he's giving to the Corinthians. 
in verse 10, and this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there is also may be a completion out of what you have. He said, now I give my advice. They were talking about this offering and giving. They were talking about it in the past. And maybe you've thought that way. Hey, you know, I've been thinking about giving. I've been talking about giving. I just haven't stepped out and began to give consistently or give generously as God's Spirit is leading me to do. And he says, you know, it's not enough to think about it. It's not enough to talk about it. It's not, as that old saying is, the road is paved with good intentions. People have all kinds of good intentions, and so did the Corinthians. They mentioned some things, and Paul said, now it's time to complete it. Now it's time to take that step and bring this to completion. You had the readiness to desire it. Now you got to follow through. And I think that's the, it, it's easy to talk about giving. It's another thing to follow through and actually do it in a consistent way. In verse 12, it says, For if there is a first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have immediately Polly Apostle nips in the bud a human characteristic that you and I are very familiar with, if you're honest with your own heart. And that is immediately when we start talking about giving here tonight in this passage of Scripture, immediately human hearts start talking about what they don't have. They say, well, if I had, if I made more, if I, and it's always, we want to take this subject of giving and put it out here into the theoretical, well, man, if I, if I won the lottery, no doubt I would give. But he says here, what's so important for us to understand is that first, the willing mind is what's important. It is accepted according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Do you think the Lord, who says that he knows the very hairs of your head are numbered, that he knows not one sparrow falls to the ground that God does not see. And we're more valuable than many sparrows. Do you think that God does not know how much money you got in the bank? Honestly, do you think God doesn't know how much money you got in the bank? In your pocket? Accessible by your debit? In your 401k? In your savings account? Do you really think, honestly, God doesn't know what you have? He knows. So if you don't have very much, and the Lord talks about and encourages you to give even from your poverty, do you think that the Lord knows you don't have very much? So if you pray about it and you give something, do you think God's like, hey, how come you're not giving more? God knows what the balance is, right? And just in case you, you might think that God doesn't pay attention to such things, you remember the story of Jesus standing there by the treasury at the house of the Lord, and people are giving out of these rich people are giving out of their abundance, and the widow comes up with two little widow's mites, and Jesus is watching, right? Jesus is paying attention. And she, I mean, honestly, this is all she had. She had two widow's mites. I mean, she's, she's got a, let's just give it, she has a couple of dimes to rub, rub together. That's all she has. Now, if she, in her poverty, I have two dimes. I'm going to give one to the Lord, and I'm going to keep on myself. We'd think, whoa, man, she just gave half of what she had, right? The Lord knows what her, <laughs> what her total value was, a couple of mites. But she puts both of them in and says, I'm just going to trust God. You see, the Lord Jesus took note of what she put in and what she had you see, you're never going to be pulled up short or judged by God because you don't have very much, therefore you can't give very much. He knows what you have. And it could be you, you giving out of your difficult circumstances could be mo much more sacrificial than a person that's sitting maybe behind you or in front of you, and they have a lot of money in the bank. And it would be no inconvenience whatsoever to give what you gave. But for you, I mean, there was a cost involved. But God rewards us with a ready mind and a willingness to give and not saying what I don't have. I never, I never tell God what I don't have. God sees what I have. And he says, hey, how do you want to honor me with that? Why don't you pray about that? Is that, 
Is that 10%? Is that 5%? Is that 12%? Is that 20%? What do you want to do? That's the beauty of your own walk with God and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, that the Spirit of God can lead you and direct you. And nobody can put pressure on you. The God squad's not going to show up on your, hey, give. Not going to show up on your doorstep. Well, there is a church in town that would do that. We're not going to do that. But there is a church that would do that. Okay? Right? So, but the reality is you have this incredible freedom. So you can never say, I'm under some law. I'm under some burden. Or they're saying this down at the church. It's just between you and Jesus and the grace of God touching your own heart. Whether you have a little or you have a lot or you give a little or you give a lot, it's totally between you and God. Paul gives us another insight in verse 13 through 15. It says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Quoting Exodus 16, 8, 18. So this is what he says. Another objection I believe that pops up immediately in the human heart, the one that we just mentioned was, oh, I don't have. And he says, hey, it's not about what you don't have, it's what you do have. But secondly, he says, I do not mean to, uh, that others should be eased and you burden. If you're going to give to somebody else, the, immediately thought, the immediate thinking is, well, why should I give and, and support them Maybe they're not even working as hard as they should. And I immediately begin to think that I'm burdened and they're going to be blessed. Now, what's wrong with that picture? Well, Paul the Apostle telling us, he said, well, it's in this season, there was a genuine need in Jerusalem. And we don't have time to get into all of that stuff. But ultimately, he had presented a genuine need. There was a genuine need. And as he, they give, as the Corinthians would give, it was like the children of Israel, and this is the passage he quotes in Exodus 16, 18, about the manna. You see, every day when the children of Israel came out in the morning, as the dew, you know, as dew makes the grass wet in the morning, there was this seed, it looked like round coriander seed, and it was all over the ground. And when that first day they came out, they said, what is it? And that's what manna means, what is it? Imagine eating what is it for 40 years. That's what they did. They ate what is it for 40 years. But when they would go out, think of it, a little 80-year-old lady. She's got her little basket, and she's out there trying to bend over, and, and, and she's getting her manna and putting it in the basket. Now, they can only double up enough for two days on Friday for the Sabbath, and only on those days would it not mold or turn into uh, get filled with worms because they were to go out and get their daily manna. But it says that those who went out, I can see me. I'm a hungry fella. And I'm like, I want plenty of manna to eat. I go out, I got two five-gallon buckets. You know? I'm out there, I'm shoveling and whoo, coming back, got my five-gallon buckets. I'm not going to be hungry today. But maybe a couple of neighbors, this, this guy's got a bad hip and he couldn't get out there. And, and this little old lady, I mean, she had holes in her bag. And so she lost as much coming back as she, uh, she gathered in. And all of a sudden, well, I, 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 got, I got plenty, so why don't, why don't you have some and you have some and I, I, I have enough. And that's what he says, those who gathered more than they needed and then those who had a lack, they just, it, it just worked out. It worked out that there was, no, um, there was no lack and there was no really big surplus because it was on a daily basis. And so he applies this now to Christians helping other Christians when they go through seasons of need. That there can be this equality in giving. You know, if you're in a fellowship for 20 years and you go, you, maybe there's a year and a half period, man, you lose your job and you go through a lean time and it's difficult and those relationships you have, maybe four or five families that you've just known for years, they just step up and man, they bring the groceries by and they help with the power bill and they helped you out through that really lean time. Well, odds are in 20 years, they're going to go through some lean times, and then you're in a good place, and you can turn around, and you can help them out. And it all kind of equals out as we begin to invest in one another and love one another. And even if it doesn't come back to you, that's not the point that, you know, sowing to receive, but ultimately to be a blessing to other individuals. So... Paul the Apostle, he lays all that out. And now the larger section of this chapter, in chapter uh, 8, verse 16 through 24, is about the guys that are going to be gathering this up. 
Because when it comes to finances, you need accountability. You need the right people doing the right things. And so even in a church life, we have a servants team, and they gather the offering on Saturday and Sunday. We don't receive an offering on Wednesday nights. There's offering boxes that people want to give at that time. But ultimately, we have a servants team that they gather, and we do this in a specific way, and there's an accounting office, and it goes there, and there's an accounting team, and they count that, and the accounting team puts it in the bank, and then there's reporting, and then there's financial uh, compilations every year as far as accountability and those different things, and there's a board of elders that oversees those things. So you have to have all the right people in the right place doing the right things when it comes to finances. And Paul the Apostle now begins to lay that out. And he's telling him about some brothers that are coming to be a part of this team. He mentions Titus in verse 16. It says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Hey, man, Titus loves you guys so much. He's going to come, and he's going to be a part of that. And I could have sent somebody else, but he said, hey, I, I want to volunteer. I, I want to go and uh, receive this offering from the Corinthian believers, Titus says. In verse 18, it says, And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches, and not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself, and to show your ready mind. So he says, now there's this brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And he had been designated by a congregation to go with them as a part of the delegation that was going to give this and be accountable and give this to the saints in Jerusalem. Who this brother is, it's sure a cool, a cool description of him. We have no clue who he is. He's brother A because there's going to be a brother B that we also don't know his name. It's just simply... This brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. You know, there are some people that their witness and their love for God and their faithfulness and service, I mean, just the word spreads about them. They're just faithful souls. And this guy was one of those no-named servants. His name is not given. But he was a guy that was so faithful in the congregation of the Lord. Do you seek faithfulness in your own walk with God? What are people in the congregation saying about you? how you step up, how you serve, how you give, how you love, what kind of generosity comes from your life, what kind of, uh, you, you, you come and you're receiving, you're receiving, you're receiving, but how do you begin to give out? How do you begin to minister? For some people, they get filled up at church, but their gifting is really evangelism. It's not even in the four walls. A lot of times, we can't see what God is doing through your life. Some people have this incredible gift of giving itself. I've had people tell me this over the years. Somebody, they're just, they have this gift of giving. They say, oh, they never get involved. All they do is write a check. I said, are you out of your mind? Praise the Lord for the people that have a gift of giving and they write the check. What do you mean they're not doing anything? To write a check. Well, I mean they don't get their hands dirty. They don't serve. Well, that guy might come and serve all the time, but he may not give anything. What are you talking about? Everybody has their part in the body of Christ. Some people serve with their hands. Some people serve by writing a check. Some people serve by teaching, whatever. But all of God's people, you might have a gift of giving, which is over and above. And this is the thing I've discovered over the years. The people that have a gift of giving, God begins to funnel more and more and more resources towards them because they have proven themselves faithful to distribute the resources that God has given to them. And so as these things go out, then they're discovered as faithful givers. But there's also faithful servants and stewards, and that's what this guy was. He was talked about in the churches of this area, and, and the word was out about him to the glory of the Lord himself to show your ready mind. He says, this is all going to bring glory to God. You guys giving, these guys coming to get it. But what do we have to avoid in all of this? In verse 20, avoid the, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord but also in the sight of men. He says we have to avoid this, that anybody would blame us in the lavish gift that is given. As people give generously and there's a large financial gift and large financial responsibility, you have to avoid being blamed. You have to avoid, you have to set up safeguards of people that in the right place at the right time with the right accounting systems and the right accountability so that you're not blamed. 
And as I said, we have had those things structured in place for many years. I remember when we first started the church 22, almost 23 years ago, and I was going to have this guy uh, be a treasurer because when we first started the Bible study, had a gal that wanted to volunteer, and she was the secretary, and, and she was going to count the money and deposit it, and we had all of these volunteers, and, and one of my, the guys that I, I, I wanted to, he was an elder, if you will, in those early days, and then I asked him if he'd be the treasurer and be responsible for the accountability of this, and he said, no, my, my name starts with J, and I don't want to be in, in charge of the money purse, and uh, because of Judas Iscariot, and, and I thought that's, that was a fascinating response. It wasn't what I expected from him, but he just realized his gifts, he was not going to be good at that. So I had to get some other people to implement them in place. But that was one of my first attempts that I had to get somebody in place that would be faithful, be accountable, uh, the mouth of two or three witnesses, the eyes of two or three witnesses. And what does he say in verse 21? Providing honorable things. Should be always able to give an account for, for what is given from God's people for the work of the Lord. And he says, in the sight of the Lord and in the sight of men. God is watching. God is watching. And there's just something that's so important about financial accountability when it comes to just having, as I said, the right people in the right places with the right systems. And we don't talk a lot about money because I, I've just observed in churches that when they just talk about it nonstop, it just becomes this big deal. We want to talk about Jesus and his word, praying for one another, but we have a very uh, efficient accountability in all the finances of the church. From the time I was a young pastor, I realized that there were three things that destroy ministers, as you observe in the scriptures. Not only three things that destroy ministers, they destroy people, they destroy Christians. And that is the love of money, the pride of life or being prideful, and then lust, getting involved sexually. So pride, money, and sex, or the gold, the girls, and the glory will get you in trouble, right? And so from the earliest time, it seems like a silly thing, but from the time I went into ministry, you know, you're, you're walking around the church, and oftentimes I walk around the church because this is this is a place for me to pray if it's not overrun by activity, which it normally is. But, and as you cruise through the church, you'll, you'll find money. It'll be, you know, pennies. It'll be nickels. It'll be dollars. It'll be a check. And you'll find, it's, you know, it falls out of people's purses. It falls out of their wallets. It's, uh, you know, kids dropped it. And, and to have that diligence that no matter, hey, if it's one penny, one penny, I don't know how many times I've, I've picked up a penny in the sanctuary and I go into the offering box, and nobody's around, and I throw it in. And today, I mean, they're talking in the, um, basically the monetary system of, uh, in America. They're talking about doing away with pennies because it's, it's almost a, a worthless increment now with t pennies. And yet at the smallest level to be faithful, this penny, I could just bend down and pick up that penny or that dime or that dollar or whatever, and I could just put it in my pocket. Hey, there's a penny for the next time I have some taxes over a dollar. And I kind of like that little cup they have there at the cashier. You can just reach in there and grab a few pennies, grab a nickel. Hey, I could just throw that in my pocket. But it all goes in the offering box. Because I realize if you start putting pennies in your pocket, then you start putting nickels in your pocket. And then pretty soon it'll be dimes. You see, there's an importance about, in the sight of God, God sees my life. When none of you are around, God sees my life. And when none of us are around, God sees your life. And so Paul the Apostle was so careful. He said, in the sight of man, in the sight of God, we want to avoid being blamed with this offering. So he's setting up all these safeguards. He, there's accountability with the right people. Titus, uh, Brother A, we're going to call him, who has, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And then he says, here's Brother B in verse 22, and we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. 
And so here's another brother. He's proved diligent in many things, and uh, they had great confidence in that the Corinthians were going to give. And so here's another brother that they put forth. We don't know who it is. Um, they know who it is. Verse 23. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Uh, or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. He says, you know, some people might ask about this delegation that's coming to receive this offering. They might have some questions, and I want you to tell them that these are my faithful assistants. We, we serve the Lord together, and we, um, we, we're fellow workers, and they're my partners in service. So you can trust these guys. This is the thing you learn over the years in ministry is that we have a small army of men that I can trust. And that is, I mean, you could trust them with your own bank book. They're just so faithful in their love and service to God. And, and if somebody asks me about, the, hey, what about, so hey, man, you can trust him. What, what do you need help with? He, he'll, he'll take care, he'll help you. And to be able to have people that you can send or pe- re- when we sent resources and, and missionary endeavors and people that we send those finances with, just being faithful, picking faithful men. Lastly, this is the good part in verse 24. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. He says, show to them, those who are coming for the offering, before all the churches, the proof of your love. And what was going to be the proof of their love? The proof of their love was going to be their giving as the proof of their love. If you were to measure your love with proof financially, what kind of proof would you present? Paul the Apostle calls on the Corinthians to step up and prove their love with the generosity of their giving. And he says, lastly, of our boasting on your behalf. You see, he's been talking them up. He's been telling these guys that are going, man, those Corinthians, they're going to be generous. They're going to give an incredible offering. And you see, it's not for Paul. It's for these Christians that are suffering over in Jerusalem. They're going to give an incredible, you watch. They're the most generous group of people. You watch what's He's been talking them up. So now he's sending the letter ahead so he's not embarrassed. <laughs> that, that, that they don't come through in this whole deal. You know, for me, it's such a privilege. And we don't talk about finances except to teach in a passage of Scripture like this what the Bible teaches. But it is such a privilege for me to be a part of this congregation. You guys are the most generous giving fellowship. I, I really don't have a point of reference, not having pastored another church somewhere else for uh, 22 years. But it is such a, a joy when other pastors or other Christians or I'm traveling other places and people ask me about the giving of our church. I said, man, our church is the most given church. They'll blow you away. They're just generous. They, they've given and we've been able to buy property and buy chairs and be able to build this building because they gave and we're able to get the word of God out on the radio and on the, on the TV and, and doing a school ministry and all these things. That all comes from your giving if you give. Obviously, there's a, little, there's a few freeloaders in every congregation, right? I don't know who you are. We, we're actually, we're going to point you out. No, we're not going to do that. We don't know who you are, and then that call is between you and the Lord, all of your giving. But it is so fun to be a part of a group of people that proves their love day in, day out, week in, week out, through all of the difficulties, all the years. When we went through the recession in 08, and everything just began to collapse because of the housing market throughout America, and yet God's people just continued to give to pay all the bills. Amazing, mind-blowing. And yet, God in his timing and God in his grace, how he, how he just worked it all out, just for it, to, just for it to work with your generosity. Because you see, it's not about if, you, if you're a millionaire and given a bunch. God sees your heart. If you're a person and you're just, I mean, you're getting by on minimum wage, but you've determined in your heart to give a certain amount to God God sees that, and he sees that you're giving out of your poverty. He sees that you're giving out of your need. He sees that it's the grace of God that's touched your heart. But you have to kind of pray and work it out. I know as a young Christian, I pursued this in my own heart, my own prayer life. And I just said, Lord, 
I want to give. I want to be generous. You, you touched my life and changed my life so much. I want to be a part of God's work. I would go to church and that I would just be filled up with the worship music. I would be filled up with the word of God. And I realized that that building and they had, uh, you know, electric bill and the, the pastors that were on staff. And, and I just realized, man, I, I am so blessed. This place just changes my life and rocks my world week after week. I just want to give to it. I just want to see the lights stay on. I want to see those people stay on staff. I want to see them have the resources that they need to keep being a blessing to our community. That's such a joy as a young Christian. And then just to carry that out for all of these years. You see, there is a place that the grace of God touches you in your heart that it begins to invade and be pervasive in every single area of your life even your finances. And so may God lead you by his spirit and by his grace for what he wants for you. And you get to be led by his spirit. No pressure, no commandment, no letters in the mail, no nobody pointing their finger at you. I've made it a policy all these years. I don't know what people give. So like if you come up to me and you've come to our church for 10 years and never given a penny, I'm gonna give you the same attention as the guy that's coming and he's given he's given 1,000 bucks a month. And I'm going to talk to you both the same. Why? Because there's no favoritism. I don't, know, I don't know who gives anything. And some people over the years have gotten mad because most churches, the pastors know what people give, and they begin to smooge the, the big givers. And so they begin to be buddy buddies with them and all of that stuff. And that just, that, that's repulsive to me. It makes me want to vomit. It makes me want to throw up, literally. And, but I've had people that are used to those kind of churches and then they come to our church and they begin to want to schmooze me and, and they're, you know, they're acting kind of funny around me. I'm kind of thinking, what's this dude's deal, you know? He's like, you know, I'm wanting to be, ch-. and then they leave and, and, and then the, you know, accounting department finds out about whatever and they, they know what's up. And I realize, oh, they were just trying to get close to me and that they think somehow money buys the preacher. And that just stuff just makes me want to vomit. Makes me sick to my stomach. So, if you give a lot, God bless you. Thank you. I'm never going to know. <laughs> Please don't tell me. Don't, don't, don't ruin it that way. And if you don't give, that's between you and Jesus. I'm going to love you the same. And the Lord loves you. But you kind of have to ask yourself, where's the proof of my love? Paul told the Corinthians, this is going to show the proof of your love between you and him. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would do that work of grace in our lives and in our souls. We pray that you would meet us in a special way. Lord, it's hard to talk about finances, Lord. I just pray that you would grace what has been shared and that you would edit that and filter that according to your will and that you would just set your people free to be able to experience this joy of giving. It's such a blessing, Lord, to be your servants. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.